2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. Put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC. Or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. We've gotten so used used to being afraid that we've been selling stocks for days on end. Sell, 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 sell. In part because we're worried that they'll report not so hot earnings. That includes earlier this morning when the market got severely oversold before rebounding. Dow closing up 122 points, S&P gaining 0.8%, Nasdaq advancing 0.12%. No one wants to own a stock unless it can report what's known as a BTE. A BTE meaning a better-than-expected quarter. The tyranny of BTE has cast a pall over this market! But now the earnings season has actually arrived, with PepsiCo kicking things off. Many stocks are down big from their highs, and I'm starting to think, that they've fallen so far that BTE is the wrong concern. Instead, we should be looking for quarters that are not as bad as feared, or NABF, N-A-B-F for short. NABF. Yesterday, Wall Street was concerned that PepsiCo would fail to deliver better than expected numbers, and the stock plunged from 137 down to 133 in change in anticipation of that bad number. After all, PepsiCo missed. If there was any degradation in Frito-Lay, if there was any market share lost to Coca-Cola, you had to believe that this thing would get clubbed like a baby seal. But as it turns out, PepsiCo's results were not as bad as feared. It was a NABF quarter with strong sales in both food and beverages. While the company didn't raise its forecast, the stock had already been hit so hard going to the report that this didn't really bother anyone. And that is NABF for certain. Gets better. Gets better. Some of PepsiCo's divisions are truly on fire. Gatorade seems to be returning to the old, fabulous growth trajectory it used to have. Now, Frito-Lay's products are being snapped up by millennials. Uh, there was a lot to like here. Two days ago, this quarter would have been a non-event. Today, it sent PepsiCo surging to a new all-time high. And that's not just because it was better than feared. Like I told you last night, when the market gets this oversold, it can act like a coiled spring with stocks rallying beyond where you ordinarily expect them to go to. On good news. So who else can deliver a NABF quarter? This is the list, people. Get a pencil and paper out. This is the one list you need. First, I expect JP Morgan, a simple JPM, to report a generally better than expected quarter next week. Fed funds rate may have been cut. The yield curve may not be perfect. But this is JP Morgan's moment. The moment to shine. Banks' gigantic deposit base, huge advisory business, plain old credit lending, they should all be very strong. As banks generate more and more of their revenue from fees rather than from interest, I'm confident that J.P. Morgan will be able to raise numbers. Jamie Donald talked about a Fortress balance sheet. That would be much better than feared. So maybe even forget NABF. I'm betting this one will actually be BTE. Second, I'm liking the look of American Express. The stock's been eviscerated here. It's down from 129 in July to 112 today. I don't think Amex will report a better than expected quarter, but thanks to that excruciating decline, it doesn't have to. It only needs to be not as bad as feared. Nabath. The rap here is that their business is slow worldwide because of the trade where I'm skeptical. American Express hasn't been able to crack into China in any meaningful way. China's the epicenter of the worldwide weakness. Meanwhile, CEO Stephen Square Well, he's bringing new life into this business. This self-effacing man is transforming American Express from a company with a spotty episodic track record into a company that produces smooth numbers, like the ones we come to expect now from uh, MasterCard and from Visa. I think we'll get those again. Next up, there's Abbott Labs, symbol A-B-T. That's a medical device maker. If you watch... The show for a while, you know, I'm a huge fan of Miles White, the longtime CEO who's created an enormous amount of value for shareholders over the years. We've been buying Abbott from My charitable Trust, where you can follow all of the moves before we make them by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We like Abbott for its incredible consistency, yet the stock is down nearly 9% from its high. Very rare to see that. I think it's an opportunity. Abbott also has a revolutionary new diabetes monitoring device that management can crow about on the call. Best of all, the medical device makers are the only part of the health cohort that's been flying under Washington's radar. For speaking of Washington, the Democrats and Republicans may be united in, the, in how they view the drug industry as repugnant. But I still think there's one drug stock that you can buy right here after this decline. It's Merck. This company has tremendous momentum, and it's, it reports on October 29th. The stock is down about five points from its highs. To me, it looks like a buying opportunity. I expect Merck to raise its forecast rather dramatically, thanks to the incredible growth of Keytruda, their groundbreaking cancer drug. It's better than NABF. What else? Oh, here's a real NABF. Starbucks. Now, Starbucks doesn't report until the 30s, so you got a little time here. But its stock has been crushed. You know, it's been pulverized from 99 down to 84, and that's thanks to excessive enthusiasm when it got to 99, combined with a very odd one-time shade down from early September that traders, well, they just... They felt like they were Trump chumps if they owned the stock. They've been dumping it ever since. Maybe that makes sense when Starbucks was trading in the 90s, but at 84, sorry, I think it's a buy. Don't forget, they got that nitro. The millennials love the nitro. I get sick to my stomach every time I have it. I mean, honestly, I could drink this better than nitro. Six, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Can you believe it? Facebook. I mean, what am I thinking, right? here's what I'm thinking. Even though the social media kingpin had a nice run today, it's still down dramatically from its highs, and it only takes one statement from one politician to reverse today's rally. As investors have rebelled against Faang and our government has started investigating all big tech, well, this thing has become less toxic. I know the long knives are certainly out for Facebook. I'm not blind. But honestly, I think they benefit from the fact that they're no longer the only big tech company that's been targeted. This company's no longer public enemy number one. Now it's kind of public enemy number three or four, depending upon the day that's encouraging dilution. Meanwhile, the users, well, guess what? They still love it. They haven't been talked out of it by Washington or by newspapers that attack them endlessly. They don't seem to care about that stuff, including uh, the call today from the attorney general to limit encryption. Stop it already. When you talk to the consumer packaged goods companies, as I do, they adore Facebook because it owns Instagram, and Instagram is indispensable if you're trying to reach new customers. I do a Facebook video program daily, and I can tell you that the return on investment, the bang for the buck, so it speaks phenomenal. I think you'll have plenty of opportunities to buy this one and do this before it reports on the 30th. Eighth, even if we have an economic slowdown, you still have to go to the drugstore. That's why I like CVS, that Charlie Victor, going into its quarter on November 6th. Now, the stock's been creeping higher as analysts start warming up, do uh, its merger with that. And, uh, plus, CVS is spewing cash, supports the 3% yield. So they're paying for you to wait for what I bet will be a NABF. Finally, there's Shopify. Yes, this is the ultimate empowerment story, a company that helps thousands of people set up their own e-commerce sites every week. We hear from Shopify in three weeks. We sold this thing for Action Alerts at about 60 points above where it is right now. I think you can sink your teeth in as it goes lower into another dip. Look, there are dozens of other stocks that could work here, stocks of high-quality companies that have just been shelled. I don't know if the market's done going down, although I think we saw an important moment of capitulation during this morning's breakdown, but the oscillators still not as low as I'd like. Here's the bottom line. When the Labor Department releases its big employment number tomorrow, I bet there will be some sellers. To me, that's the perfect moment to pick up some of these naboth names. Betting they'll be, well, not as bad as feared. How about we go to Brad in Illinois? Please, Brad. Good evening. Good I evening. was interested in the value of Savantech. Earlier, they
3: had a failed buyout, and then Broadcom came back to the table in an all cash deal. So there's supposed to be a one-time dividend of
2: $12. Yeah, just stick with it. Just look, Rick Hill's in charge there. I know he's temporary. Uh, but Rick is a moneymaker, and you're going to make money in it. I, even at 23, I want to stand there and buy the stock. How about we go to Ali in Minnesota? Ali. Hey, uh, Booyah, Jim. Uh, I just have a quick question with regards to the future outlook of General Electric. Sure, sounds good. What's up? I noticed
3: that the stock last year lost uh, $22 billion. It's got $108 billion in debt, and it's only got $35 billion to pay for its cash. Do you think this will be a stock that will... Go insolvent in the future, no. or is it no? To invest
2: no, into? absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I would say that Larry Culp has got the situation as bad as it is, frankly, under control. 2019 uh, is a reset year, uh, 2020 will be better. Uh, the problem here is not of Larry's doing, and he is really cleaning things up. So, I don't want to bail. I do think there could be more weakness, but I do not want to bail. And I'm going to Christian in Nevada. Christian, hey, Jim, how are you doing? All right, uh, so my question is I'm currently down in my position in sprint. Should I sell now or uh, should I wait? You're out? in the you're on the wrong horse, my friend. You need to be in T-Mobile. Okay, that way, with the deal, or without you got John Ledger working for you, and Leisure is the bomb. All right, watch for stocks reporting not as bad as feared numbers, and stop worrying about BTE after this decline. Use weakness to pick up the ones that I've given you here. Oh man, tonight Constellation Brands' STZ reported earnings today, and the report looked festive with better than expected numbers, but the stock is still dropping. Feel like you need a tail after the move, I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then Ulta, yeah, Ulta, face an ugly sell-off, but the stock's been out. thing a poker of late, so where should you stand with the stock? I'm investigating. And after a while, a few days in the averages wondering how you should position your portfolio, I'm here to help when we play MI Diversified. So, stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question?
2: make of these numbers from Constellation Brands, STZ, the big alcohol company best known for Corona and Modelo. This morning, Constellation reported what at first seemed like a pretty solid quarter. Even after factoring in a 20-cent earnings hit related to the company's major investment in cannabis growth, the, that's the uh, tough cannabis producer situation, they still delivered a 12-cent earnings beat off of a, dollar, a $2.60 basis, with slightly higher than expected sales up 2% year-over-year. Even better management raised their full-year earnings forecast. Yet the stock ended up getting hammered. Down six percent today. What went wrong? When you dig beneath the headline numbers, Constellation's wine and spirits business is struggling. They're trying to sell their lower end brands to another winery at E.J. Gallo for 1.7 billion. The deal's been delayed, which makes these results harder to interpret. Beer business was basically just in line. Company's investment in can't growth, getting pounded of late. Put it all together, and there was enough hair on this quarter, I guess, to scare away the buyers. I say I guess because we got to find out more. Did the stock really deserve to plummet six percent today? You got to wonder if this could be the uh, buying opportunity we've been looking for here. So let's take a closer look at Bill. Bill Newlands. He's the president CEO of Constellation Brands. Learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Thanks. Good to be here, Jim.
2: Hey, So, Bill, I, I've got to tell you, in terms of the things that were moving parts, let's call them that, it was tougher to understand this quarter than others because of the wine and spirits delay with Gallo, because of the way that there is accounting for your uh, canopy business. So can you just walk us through it a little better? Because I think people may have been so confused that they did the wrong thing.
3: Yeah, we think so, too, Jim. I mean, when you look at our core business, our Mexican imports, they were up in depletions over 8% when adjusting to make it an even time of how many days there were in the quarter. Very strong. Modelo was particularly strong, up 15%, and was the number one growth driver with over 30% of the growth in the entire beer business. So we had a really strong quarter. When you then add to that that our margins were the best they have ever been in the quarter, we think our beer business, representing 80% of our total profit, had a really, really strong quarter. What I think people may have gotten mixed up in a little bit mm-hmm. is some of the accounting treatments around Canopy. Uh, let's face it, $757 million is a big number. And that number is how much we're up on, on our total investment in Canopy since we made the initial investment. So we think the same as you, that this is a great opportunity for people to buy in because we think some people missed the, miss the success that we had during the quarter.
2: Bill, cannabis come down, along with the rest of the group. There are a lot of short sellers driving down some of these stocks, but there's a lot of competition now. There's a lot of cannabis stories out there. I'm being pitched one every single day. Do you think that... Uh, can be because of perhaps some of the missteps that Bruce Litton had done or because it doesn't yet have a new CEO because the current CEO is retiring? It's just uh, too hard to get your arms around. Or is this an opportunity that maybe I know you guys have a limit of how much you can buy, but it, it does seem like it, it's the best capitalized cannabis story out there. Maybe it's an opportunity for that one.
3: Uh, it is the best capitalized. And importantly, it is still the leader in total cannabis sales. And with our acreage deal. Which it will be finalized uh, when legal here in the United States, Canopy will be in well uh, well positioned to win in the United States as well. So we continue to be very bullish on Canopy and its long term opportunity
2: to win in this marketplace. Do you think it can be the consolidator that everybody needs? Because I got to tell you, Bill, there's too many companies in this industry right now.
3: Yeah, I think so. You know, one of the reasons, as you know, why we made the initial investment is we felt they they understood government regulation. They understood the science better than anybody else in the industry. So no one, in our judgment, is better positioned than Canopy to win what we all believe will be a $200 billion business in the next several years or more.
2: All right, so Bill, one of the things that in the previous quarter, everyone was saying, when are you going to do a spike seltzer? When you going to do a spike seltzer? You've got one now, and say, no one cares now. I mean, it's really incredible how fickle the analysts are. I'm not. This category is exploding. Just have to look in the refrigerator of any millennial. What does it mean to have the Corona hard seltzer? And when can I see it in stores? Or is it there? I just haven't gotten the time yet.
3: No, you're going to see it starting in March this coming year. But remember what Corona is. Corona's DNA is all about refreshment. And when you add to the fact that Corona is the most trusted brand for the 21 to 54 year olds, whether they be non-Hispanic or Hispanic, it is a perfect marriage between Seltzer and the Corona brand franchise. And, And as we've said before, we were only going to do this if we could do it profitably. We're going to make a lot of money entering this category. And we think with margin structure that is
2: well above everyone else who's playing in it today. Now, how is that possible? Because everybody tells me it's so they're making a ton of money. What's Constellation Brand's edge here?
3: Well, as you know, our bottom line margin structure in this quarter was well over 40%. And when we see Seltzer getting to an effective run rate level that takes a significant piece of the share, we're going to have a very similar margin profile on this product, Uh, to our regular core corona business. So if you look at the other players in the industry, they don't have a margin profile, anything resembling what that will be.
2: Well, okay, so what I also want to know is about, uh, we got some new tariffs, President just put on scotch and whiskey over there. We're having a little problems now getting through this, maybe the Canada-Mexico trade agreement. What are these tariffs meaning for you? They mean
3: almost nothing to us, Jim. You know, we we were not sure whether there'd be any impact if anything would be implemented in Italy, and it wasn't. As you know, we have our Rufino property in Italy. So given that the vast majority of our business is done here in the United States and is done with with brands that are made here in the United States, plus in Mexico, um, we will have no impact whatsoever relative to the tariff. So
2: we're good to go. All right. Uh, one last question. you got Silencio now. You've got a stake in for Mezcal. You've got High West. You've got the best, at least in my place, selling tequila. Um, you now did craft Gin. Put these all together. Are you going to get something that in the end is going to move the needle for this big company?
3: Well, you know, let's not forget Svetka. Svetka was up in IRI over 6 percent in the in the most recent quarter. And we've got a lot of opportunity Uh, with the brands that you mentioned to to really grow our spirit portfolio. We're excited about it. A lot of it's craft. A lot of it's where the consumer is moving, the the whole premiumization trend. But that whole sector of the business is going to be important to us going forward.
2: All right. Terrific. I'm so glad you came on, Bill. Really clarified a lot of good things. That is Bill Newens. He is Constellation Brands President and CEO. Thank you so much, sir. Good to see you. You too, Jim. Stay with Kramer. When it's safe to circle back to a stock that suddenly turned toxic. Bye, bye, bye! Take Ulta Beauty. That's the largest cosmetics chain in America. For years, Ulta was one of the hottest, sizzling growth stocks in retail. Then, a little over a month ago, the company reported a very disappointing quarter, and the stock got taken to the woodshed. Sell, sell, sell. Losing nearly 30% of its value in a single session. It was a horrific decline, and the stock kept falling as one analyst after another analyst expressed their betrayal. But over the past couple of weeks, Ulta started getting its groove back. The stock surged from 225 to 265, although it's come down from those levels after getting hit with the suboptimal analyst initiation from Goldman Sachs this very day. So even after this $5 dip, Ulta is well off its lows, and we want to know whether it's still a buy from then or if it's bounced too much, or if it's too high? Was this just a relief rally, or has something really changed here that makes this story, which was just horrible, more compelling? I think this rebound, I think it's the real deal. I'm going to tell you why. First of all, you need to understand what went wrong here. In many ways, Ultimate was a victim of its own success. For years, they delivered spectacular double-digit same-store sales growth, some of the best in the whole retail cohort. Under the leadership of its incredible CEO, Mary Dillon, the company did a tremendous job of getting people in the stores. They lure you in with their salon services. Then They sell you cosmetics and hair care and skin care products. Of course, they get you signed up for their incredible loyalty program, which has millions and millions of people. It was an all-around great business with an all-around great stock. It was a longtime Kramer fave. In short, Ulta Beauty became a market darling. And the problem with market darlings is that when they fail to meet expectations, well, guess what? Their stocks just get completely eviscerated. After a huge run at the beginning of this year, the buyers seemed exhausted. At its highs, Ulta's stock had more than tripled in less than five years. It was trading 25 times next year's earnings, which is a lot for a retailer. Plus, in April, we learned that there was some heavy insider selling. Sell, sell, sell. During the first quarter, directors and executives sold nearly $260 million worth of stock, When they, they sold less than $54 million worth in, in all of 2018. The insiders included CEO Mary Dillon. With the benefit of hindsight, those insiders' sales told you it was a good time to ring the register on this one. Mea culpa. I should have seen it. Insiders sell stock for many different reasons. It's not necessarily a sign that something's gone wrong. Ulta was up huge, so they were only being prudent when they took some profits. Still, it was not something I like to see. So that was the setup going into the last day of August when Ulta reported a subpar quarter and the stock fell off a cliff. How bad were these numbers? This bad. Wow. While the company missed across Every line item, they, they weren't big miss. Same-store sales growth came in at 6.2%. Wall Street wanted to see 6.6%. Net sales a little weaker than expected, and they posted an 8-cent earnings miss off of a $2.80 basis. Now, the growth here was already slowing thanks to the law of large numbers, but this was more of a slowdown than anyone expected because we're all used to having this thing beat the number, beat the number, beat the number. I expected a blowout. Worse, there were some real execution issues. For example, Ulta's earnings grew at a slower pace than its sales for the first time in years. Still, if the results were tepid, the guidance was downright disturbing. Ulta slashed its full year same store sales forecast from six to, from the six to seven percent range down to the four to six percent range. That's a brutal decel. We always call it diesel. For total sales, they've been guiding for low double-digit growth. They edged that down to somewhere between 9 to 12%, so it might have been just high single-digit growth. And management took a meat cleaver to the earnings numbers, cutting the midpoint of their forecast from just under 13 to just under 12%. Worst of all, in the conference call, Mary Dillon talked about headwinds. Oh, man, talk about a word you never want to hear. Headwinds we are currently seeing in the U.S. cosmetics market. Hmm, not long ago, Ulta seemed like it had tailwinds. Now it's got headwinds. What is the problem here? Dylan mentioned that most of the top cosmetic brands, both mass market and prestige, were experiencing negative growth for the year. Ulta thought this was temporary, but Dylan says, we now believe that the softness we've seen so far in 2019 will continue through the remainder of the year. Oh, man, that just stings. She goes on to explain the culprit, okay? The main issue driving the softer cycle in cosmetics is that the newness and innovation that have been the focus of most brands this year has just not driven the kind of incremental growth we've enjoyed for some period of time, end quote. In the past, you'd have new styles, new rituals, new application techniques that would produce better numbers. But Dylan tells us, quote, the most recent cycle of innovation has just not driven these behaviors resulting in a soft cycle for the cosmetics category, period, end quote. So the makeup business is hurting, although don't you dare tell the key Ulta supplier Estee Lauder, as Fabrizio Freitas' company just reported spectacular numbers. it's not disturbing, I found. It's still outside of makeup. Ulta saw some very strong growth in every category, especially skincare. And Dylan said she's trying to fix the makeup business, promising to leverage the company's consumer insights and work closely with their brand partners to turn things around. Geez, when your company has a fabulous track record and you slash your guidance, your stock gets annihilated. First, the analysts cut their estimates on mass. How could they not? Five firms downgraded Ulta with Morgan Stanley arguing that this was a, quote, thesis changing, end quote, quarter. That's devastating. That's why the stock plummeted nearly 30% in, in, in a single day and then spent the bulk of September licking its wounds. Nobody wanted a seemingly broken growth stock in this environment. The crazy thing is that in the past couple of weeks, Ulta's made a remarkable comeback. Usually it takes more than a month to get that kind of bounce after such an ugly shortfall. It's almost like someone switched. uh, uh, A switch has been flipped here. And investors have been given the okay to get back into Ulta. What's changed? Remember how the insider selling earlier this year really should have been our signal to ring the register on Ulta? Well, just get this. Late last month, we started seeing some insider buy. On September 26th, Mary Dillon shelled out about 308,000 to uh, buy 1,300 1, shares in the market. Okay, not big, but get this. It's not just the CEO. Charles Hallibrand, very smart guy, member of Ulta's board of directors since 1995, biggest source of insider sal- sales this past spring, suddenly started buying again. In a series of transactions from September 26th to September 30th, Hallibrand snapped up 50 to 60 million dollars worth of stock. That's huge. Unlike insider selling, insider buying only occurs if you think the stock's gonna go higher, right? You think about it, insider sells all sorts of reasons. Maybe they just need cash, you, you know, estate planning, divorce. But insider buys, uh uh-uh, that's that's just powerful. Once Wall Street saw that the people who know Ulta best had become buyers, that's when the stock bottomed. Since then, it's been a big move, although we were lucky today, and that means if you wanted to buy it, because it pulled back more than $5, or or 2%, after Goldman Sachs initiated coverage with a neutral. My view, right now, Ulta sells for 19 times next year's earnings estimates. It's no longer trading like a high-flying growth stock. It's much closer to value territory, actually, the cheapest, I reckon, since Dylan took over. And that's why I think the stock is a buy. The bottom line. Yes, Ulta's last quarter was a disaster. I wish I had seen it coming. But with insiders buying again and the stock looking cheap versus its growth rate, I think Ulta's too tempting here to ignore when it's going down. Even if it's looking at permanently lower growth mid-single-digit same-store sales figures, well, it's still pretty darn good for retail. I recommend buying a little Ulta here. And then maybe you get a bad employment number, whatever that would mean. And you get a chance to buy even more on the way down. Let's go to Spencer in Florida. Spencer. Booyah, Jim. Well played. So I was wondering with the market volatility going on right now, I was wondering if it's a good time to invest in uh, five and below or wait for a a lower price point. You know, my travel trust took a profit in it uh, because we just felt we had such a big gain. It went down. Then it started coming back, and we think that we think the uh, the business is really well run. We were worried about tariffs, frankly, but then they came on and said, "Listen, maybe we do have to raise price a little bit." I think five below is fine. I really want to buy it in the teens. I don't think you should buy it up here. But retail's making another move, and this is part of it. Let's go to David in New York. David, hi Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, um, I'm currently a locked in. who spends most of his time trading. Okay. Which- just wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the real real you previously mentioned it was a good buy and yeah real real is right. one I mean in what has become truly a class of second rate IPOs this is a members only company for luxury goods and I like it now I think a lot of people are worried that this could be the next uh, you know stitch fix I didn't think stitch fix was that bad frankly but we'll go into that in later I think real Real's real is real right. okay ultimately too enticing to ignore right now. Buy a little here, and then grab some more if the market rolls over. This is going to take the market to bring it down. All right, there's much more mad money at The market dropped over 800 points in the first two days of October. So you have to wonder, does your portfolio have what it takes to fight the unknowns in the market? Hey, let me be the judge. We're going to play. We haven't done it in a while. M.I. verse 5. Then when is a win not a win? When it's a trade war win. I'll explain. And the lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When the tape starts to look like a Christmas tree, I understand why you might begin to feel a little concerned. But remember, panic is never a strategy. But what is part of a good strategy is maintaining a portfolio that can come face to face with volatility and still get you through. Be defensive. With earnings season getting underway, it's even more important to make sure you keep a diversified portfolio that can deal with the ups and downs of what's to come. And that's why we play M.I. Diversified. What do you do? Okay, you give me a call. You tell me your top five holders. I tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough or maybe need to mix it up a little. Let's start with Scott in the Illini. Scott, what be cooking? Jim, how are you, buddy? Couldn't be this better, thank
3: you. Scott from Chicago after 30 years of being in the S&P 500 futures pit. I am finally trying to figure out if I am diversified.
2: Well, I got to tell you, I'm honored that you called in because you obviously have uh, a good handle on everything financial. So let's go to work. I hope I can help you.
3: Well, I hope you can also. I've got AJRD,
2: Microsoft, NVIDIA, Exelon, and Cerner. Okay. Alright, now we do have, um, I mean, one of my absolute favorite defense stocks. I'm glad you mentioned that. I have a friend who actually works for it. Uh, Nvidia was up, uh, huge today, and that's because I think it's about to get approval by Mellanox and also because Micron is stabilized. Uh, Exelon is a terrific utility. Uh, Cerner is a healthcare software company. And uh, Microsoft, obviously, a great tech company. But here's the problem. Microsoft and NVIDIA do tend to trade together. I'm actually going to say, let's keep NVIDIA. Let's go with Microsoft. And let's get a a retailer in there. And I'm going to select, as of tonight, Costco. And then I think we have total gain. But that has to be done. I don't like that overlap between Microsoft and NVIDIA, also known as my dog. And I have a great dog picture today of NVIDIA if you go to Twitter. Uh, Can I go to uh, Joaquin in California? Joaquin. Oh, yeah, Jim. Thank you for having me. Long time fan of the show. I appreciate everything you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Yeah, so the five stocks that I have are Disney, Costco, uh, American Waterworks, Boeing, and Visa. All right, let's go to work here. Okay, uh, Disney is entertainment. American Waterworks is a terrific utility. Boeing, a great defense company. Visa is a terrific fintech, and Costco is one of my favorite retailers. We got a retail, we got entertainment, we got a utility, we've got fintech, and we've got defense. Arrow, wow. Ooh, what's? I guess i was just stuck on that one. Okay, let's go to Vic in Illinois. Vic, hello, Mr. Kramer. First time caller. i Would like to know if I am diversified. Of course. Let's go to work. Okay, uh, Roku, yep. AMD, CVS, Qualcomm, Etsy. Wow. Okay, man. Okay, here we go. Uh, Roku, we're going to call that. You know what we're going to do? We're going to call it entertainment because there's just a little too much overlap here and I don't want everything sold. Qualcomm, we're going to call as... And we're going to call that uh, communications software. AMD, well, I got to tell you, these two are going to go together. So we're going to get rid of Qualcomm because there's enough communication AMD. CVS, big position, action alerts. I really like it. I tell club it's one of the cheapest stocks out there. And Etsy is a, let's just call it an online retailer. So let's see, we're going to keep broken. You know, what we need to do is we need to bring in something here. Again, we can use, um, let's see, why don't we put in Honeywell. I like to have a diversified industrial that's doing incredibly well that would fit in in place of Qualcomm. I know we're going to cut back on yield a little bit, but I like it okay. All right, let's go to Dave in Kansas. Dave. Rock Chalk Jayhawk, Jim. Okay, I love the Jayhawks. Always been a Jayhawk fan ever since Wilt. What's going on? Outstanding. Uh, my, my symbols are CME. Okay. D E O. Yes. K L A C. Love. P E P. hmm. P A Y X. Oh boy, we got some work to do here. <laughs> you know, that was easy. Okay. Uh, f- FinTech? Uh, which I love. By the way, it's a great company. was a great coach called me and asked me about it. I was too negative. It's a winner. Uh, KLA, that's semiconductor capital equipment, it's really good. Paychecks, we're going to regard that as payroll processing It's a little small category. PepsiCo blowout quarter today. And Diageo, uh oh uh uh-oh, two beverage companies, but they don't trade together. Why? Because this is hard beverage, meaning alcohol. So we've got an alcohol company, we've got a soft drink, and Frito-Lay company. Uh, My executive producer, Regina Gilgan, likes those especially hot on-fire chips. I have to eat them with a fire extinguisher nearby. Uh, Fintech uh, but, but we call it payroll processing. I just love this company, KLA Semiconductor Equipment, doing incredibly well. And fintech, a great fintech company, me. I'm, I'm liking, I'm liking what I hear. I'm liking, and am I done or do I have more? Ha, huh, have money is. 60 minutes is back after the break. <laughs> And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate down. The lightning round over. Drew in Texas. Drew. Booyah, Jim. How are you doing? I am having a good day. How about you, Drew? I'm doing well. That's good. I got a question for you about Yeti. Yeah, you know, I like Yeti. I know people were initially worried about the balance sheet. I got to tell you, I think it's in good shape, and I want to buy Yeti. Let's go to Kevin in Georgia. Please, Kevin. Hey, JC. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well. I'm looking actually at uh, we work Bonds kind of trading down here. But go ahead. What's up? Hey, I'm just looking for your opinion on the ag fertilizer industry and your take on Mosaic. Mosaic? No. You know, Mosaic, is that, that's a commodity business. I have always shied away from commodity businesses on the show, and it's never hurt me that that's my view. Okay, let's go to Canyon. There's a cool name in Texas. Canyon. Show me the money, Jim. All right, I'll do that. Say it with me, Jimmy. Sure, I'm with you. Show me the money. Last year on this date, Square was $98. The fundamentals look about as good as a slice at the Longshoreman. Is it time for the lads to unload the clip here? Well, longshoreman where my wife Lisa, who was on a video today that I did for Bull Market Fantasy. Uh, here's the prop. Uh, you are going to run into the fact that they lost Sarah Fryer, and the stock has never moved up ever since Sarah Fryer left the company. So I like Square, but it, it, it is really incredible how one person could mean so much. I think that that company is a good company. Let's go to David in California, please. David! Booyah, Jim Who Booyah, David! I'm calling again for your insight
1: and guidance. This okay. time on Raytheon, RTM, it made a little pop when it's pending merger was first.
3: Uh, look, I got to tell you, this
2: combination between Raytheon and United Technologies is simply brilliant. I don't understand why people are so worried about everything here. Greg, you know, Greg has got this completely under control. It is a buy Raytheon. That's a merch Raytheon and United Tech. Hey, let's go to Romy in Virginia. Romy. Hi, Jim. This is Romy in Virginia. Uh, I had a question in reference to Bristol-Myers.
1: Bristol-Myers!
2: Right. I uh, think the merger, BMY. the merger with Celgene is going to be a winner! It is true that I like the AbbVie-Allergan merger more, but the Bristol-Myers-Celgene merger is a dynamite combo. Let's go to Denise in Virginia. Denise! Hello, booyah, Jim. This is
0: Denise from Virginia. (laughs) My husband, Zoe, and I are top fans. Zoe is a financial advisor to our family and friends. And recently, he's looking at JBG Smith for our long-term stock portfolio. So tonight, I wanted to surprise Zoe with a call to you. Uh, You know, if you're going to be in that kind of
2: thing, I'm going to send you back to uh, Ventos. That's what I know. I know what's inside Ventos because I know Deb Cafaro. I I don't want to go far afield like you are. Let's go to Daniel in Pennsylvania. Daniel! Daniel? Yes? Come on, my brother. What do you got? Yes? You're up. It's Jim. Uh Kramer. Yes, Kramer. Thank you for the a- valuable service providing help for the instant. Thank you. Sophisticated investment. Thank you. What is your opinion about ancona Oil and Gas? Don't fight, don't fight, don't fight, don't fight. It's real bad. I actually, I, I don't want to touch it. Matter of fact, I I, I am. There are things I often talk about, but it's good about what's where stocks can go to if they're bad, and that's because there's no such thing as negative numbers. Brian in Texas, Brian, I hear you, Brian. Hi, Jim. Uh, you know, I'm in Texas. I'm originally from Flatbush and Utica. Okay. There you go. Uh, I'm invested for income at this point. Am I going to be happy that I bought British Petroleum yesterday? Yes. And I've got to tell you, my travel trust owners, that we look at it every day, we're like shocked at how bad the stock acts. But it is a fossil fuel company, and the millennials have rebelled against fossil fuel, but yield yields 6.7%. I think it's a very good situation, but I recognize how much fossil fuels are hated. Let's go to one more. Let's go to Tom in New Jersey. Tom. Hi, Jim. Hey, listen. I want to thank you for the skills you've passed on to me. Oh, terrific. Thank you. Uh, uh, what's your thoughts on waste management? It's Can come they down just enough. I was hoping it would go to 112 bye, 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 so bye, I could bye, just bye, stand bye, there bye, and buy bye, it. Bye, but bye, it's down enough bye, bye, to be able to say I feel very good about it. And don't forget, we have Mr. Fish on, and he's a very good CEO. This is the level. And that, ladies and gentlemen, Lightning Round! The Lightning Round
1: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: When is a win not a win? When it's part of a trade war. Yesterday, in the midst of the worst sell-off in ages, there was a moment where it looked like Wall Street genuinely believed the president might take his WTO victory against Europe and simply use it as a bargaining chip, to get better deals. After all this ruling against Europe for dumping Airbus planes was 15 years in the making, why not use it to show some graciousness and negotiate for better terms over the long term from the EU on a host of other products where their trade practices are even more egregious? At least that's how the thinking went. But President Trump wasn't having any of it. He slapped new import duties right on instantly, right in their faces. No negotiations, just here's the new tariffs, wine, scotch, host of other goods we import from Europe. That's the last thing that Wall Street wanted. The street is hoping for actually, yes, indeed, a measured response to distinguish good guy Europe from bad, bad boy China. So after punishing opening, why other than how oversold we were, did things uh, not crater and we actually bounce? Because there's actually another camp of investors who believe that the White House could have been even more punitive here. They're just happy Trump didn't go after the likes of, say, LVMH or Hermes, hence this tie. Uh, or some of the other finer leather goods just really make a mockery of things. I got to tell you, this is all becoming insanity. If you don't know where the president stands on trade at this point, and you haven't been paying attention to this show, Trump wants tariffs everywhere to reverse long standing trade imbalances everywhere. He thinks the United States has been a patsy all over the world and regards this WTO ruling as a huge win. He wants to use it to escalate our simmering trade war with China I mean, I mean, trade war with Europe, as well as keep going on with our trade war in China. And you know what? That is bad news for the stock market. See, in short, while this ruling was a win against Europe's unfair trade practices, I think it'll be a loss for our economy and our stock market. I say that as someone who's backed the trade war with, with China to the hill, But this is not the time to roll out all new tariffs, not when we're fighting a potential economic slowdown in our, our country. Really, though, I'm astonished that so many money managers and commentators still haven't figured out what President Trump's goals are. He's been pretty upfront about it. Now, I think the president's had a two pronged strategy on trade. He wants to confront our allies and bludgeon them into opening more plants here while at the same time starving China of new investment. But tariffs are basically a sales tax and any kind of sales tax hurts our economy, which brings us to the second problem. The White House was hoping that the Fed would back them up and cut interest rates aggressively, offsetting any damage from the trade war. Unfortunately, if he wanted an accommodate Federal Reserve, he really shouldn't have it very different people, because Fed Chief Jerome Powell doesn't see himself as a team player. He's an orthodox central banker. He believes his role is to be independent. So Powell's raised interest rates with alacrity last year, and now he's dragging his feet on more rate cuts. And without the Fed on board, what are we left with? The dollar's too strong for our manufacturers to thrive especially in the slowing global economy. It's not like these new tariffs on wine and olive oils would create more jobs. Instead, our largest enterprises are paralyzed with indecision, as executives don't know where the next tariffs are going to hit. It seems so capricious, so arbitrary. We're fortunate that the domestic economy is still humming. That's made up for a slowdown in international commerce. Last night, we spoke to paychecks, the payroll processor, and the job creation they talked about is very real. We have a real labor shortage. That's a godsend for anyone who works for a living. But the last thing we need at this moment is a two-front trade war. Hey, look, I'm all for cracking down on China. Probably harder line than a lot of people in the White House. And I think we still have the upper hand there. And I know that Europe has plenty of unfair trading practices of its own. In theory, President Trump's not wrong to go after the EU. But in practice, I think fighting a two-front trade war could be self-defeating for our economy and for his presidency. It's too bad. Because judging by the president's attitude, he's happy to keep imposing more and more tariffs everywhere. That's something we can't afford much of more unless the Fed is on board. Which it's not, Mr. President. It's time to get a deal done, something not unilateral, just to show that we still have a functioning government when it comes to trade. These days, even though I am a hardliner, maybe harder than you, I am wondering. Well, let's just say, if we'll ever get anything done. One morning we get the unemployment number. I got to tell you what I fear. On Fridays, we've had a lot of erratic from the president. And if you want the market to stabilize, Mr. President, this might be a good time to start tweeting about other things than the stock market or the Fed. It's just, let's say, a Jerome Powell free from attack day, and then the market will probably go higher no matter what. Let's take a little moratorium on tweeting about the Fed. Like I said, there's always a more market somewhere. I promise start find it just for you, right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I will see you
0: tomorrow. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open, midday, and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.